Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor. Joining me today is Andy Bell, Chief Executive of AJ Bell and Mark Poulton, Principal at the Lancat. Welcome to you both, thank you for joining us. Over the past few months, firms have been turned upside down as they attempt to adjust to the lockdown measures put in place to curb the coronavirus and the impact of the crisis on their business. For advisors, platforms were thoroughly in the spotlight. When the coronavirus crisis sent the UK into lockdown on March 23rd and effectively ended face-to-face meetings between advisors and clients for the foreseeable future, this presented an issue for an industry that still relied heavily on wet signatures. Platforms have generally moved relatively quickly to update their requirements, but some have criticised what seem to be stopgap measures that are little better than the processes they have replaced. Um, Mark, I think I'll head to you first. Um, How has the pandemic changed advisor expectations from their platforms? Well, I think advisors expect their platform to be a safe and kind of coherent place to hold their client money, right? That's kind of job one. And I think the platform sector has done really, really well in that regard. The uh, Nobody's fallen over. Um, nobody's gone bust. We are uh, looking after in the advised platform sector in the region of kind of four or 500 billion pounds of client money. Um, and you know what they say, 400 billion here, 400 billion there soon adds up to real money. Um, and that's a serious game, right? And I think the, the sector has been worthy of it. I think advisors also expect platforms to do their very, very best to help their supporting advisor firms through these kinds of situations. And again, I, th- I think the, the sector's done Um, pretty well here. Um, Some are more able to be more flexible more quickly than others, Um, but it doesn't mean that everybody hasn't been putting in an absolute shift uh, to make this stuff work. So I think, um, you know, it's a pretty good report. Sure, sure. Um, And Andy, have you kind of seen from the advisor clients you have at AJ Bell or even your consumers at AJ Bell, any change in expectations or change in demand from from them through the through the crisis? Yeah, looking back to that to that week that uh, started uh, on the twenty third of March, where the world the world then changed. I think everyone for that first week it was very much about um, you're trying to get your staff working from home, trying to get your, your social distancing right in the office. Um, if you'd have said to me on that Monday you'll have eighty five percent of your people working at home by the Friday. I'm not sure I would have believed them, to be honest. Um, I think I think the thing that we tried to focus on was keeping it in a business-as-usual mindset. So whilst the world was was collapsing around us, uh, we, we felt an obligation to actually keep, you know, almost keep business as, as far as normal as we could. And we went, right, you know, when you, know, you think about these, uh, uh, you, you, the regulator talks about stress tests. Well, if you're ever going to do something like this, to do it on what is traditionally our busiest week of the year, uh, which is really the last week in March. Then that was a stress, you know, a stress test beyond beyond any stress that I've ever known in my in my business career. And you know, we we went right through the the tax year end. We didn't turn any services off. Our phones were still being answered, and actually, I'd say we we're getting less phone calls because people weren't ringing up because they weren't expecting the phone to be answered. But all the way through, all of our services remained on. 
and it, you know we were you know fully sympathetic for those that couldn't because it was a you know no one would be uh, judgmental in this in this time because everyone had their own challenges to face. We took a call that we would still have some people in the office. Uh, we still had checks coming in. You know, we've seen uh, the actual less demand for the phones, but, but actually, I think the fact we've had them on has been really reassuring for advisors. I think at the end of the day, as you say, advisors, uh, you know, if we don't operate, then advisors can't operate. So I think that was the, the first and foremost. I think flipping it around the other way, I think we were quite concerned that advisors would all all grind to a halt. And as ever, advisors are, are, are a group who can who can adapt. And I was amazed at how quickly they got into the uh, into the new world. And I think actually probably um, slightly perversely, they they probably enjoyed it because they've had clients at the at the other end of a Zoom call or a, or a phone who've actually had the you know, the time to actually sit down and think about the finances. They've had an inclination to sit down and think about the finances because yeah, you know, this has been a moment when if you don't stop and think about your finances, then uh, you're either very wealthy or you don't have any finances to think about. So therefore. It was an engaged conversation that could be had. So, you know, we found that actually the advisor side has, has, has really barreled on, uh, as, as probably you would expect. Maybe I didn't. I was concerned at the start, but I, I've been really impressed the way the advisor community uh, has just adapted to the to the new way of working. And I think, you know, I, and I would say the feedback, hopefully, from them about us is we've done exactly the same. And we've both just found that new normal very, very quickly. Sure. Yeah. Um Mark, what kind of changes have you seen platforms or advisor businesses go through over this crisis that you think may stick, may be a kind of permanent feature of what platforms offer now in a post-coronavirus world, whatever that looks like? Um, well, I think uh, splitting it in two, I think for the provider side, lots and lots of platforms have done sterling work on de-papering their processes um, in a situation where you really don't want lots and lots of paper flying around that has to be handled and scanned and all that kind of stuff. Um, lots of people have come a long way very fast uh, towards as paperless as it's reasonable to be and also as signatureless as it's reasonable to be. Now, quite a few firms have said, well, all right, boys and girls, we're going to do this for now, but we're going to have to go back to normal once this is over. And I think, like, good luck with that. Um, I think advisor firms who've grown used to perhaps uh, slightly less paper-intensive processes aren't really going to want to see platforms resile away from that and, and go back to how things were. I think everybody agrees, probably apart from one or two compliance departments, that the industry is too paper-heavy. Um, we attach some kind of mythical, magical, supernatural substance to ink on paper, whereas there are plenty of good digital signature options. Um, and um, I think good process is good process. It doesn't have to be always about paper. Um, one of the things I know uh, that I, I, I've been just horrified by over the last 12 weeks or so is that the scam artists have started kind of cropping up and trying to prey on people during this time. And, you know, I'd love to gather together a couple hundred advisors and maybe platform chiefs, who knows, and get a few of these guys in a room. Uh, find a few of these guys and let's see what happens because um, that's the lowest of the low, right? Uh, and firms like Andy's, like all the providers out there, um, they have to be 
incredibly careful and it's a really really tough line to walk um, but I do think there's been great stuff there and I hope that'll stick for advisor firms I asked in a, a, a survey thing just um, the other day um, to a couple of hundred firms who's going to go back who can't wait for zoom to just never ever be part of their life ever again and to get back in the car and head out and only about 10 percent of those um that responded said that they they would want that about the same were like this is awesome this is our life from now on almost everybody right 70 odd percent of people um said we're going to let clients drive it clients can choose uh this actually hasn't been that bad i mean there's bad in lots of ways right but for this part if a client says to me i'd really like to keep working like this then i'm going to let them do it and um i think that's a kind of super change right to let the client be in control of that and one thing that's been really striking to me and andy it might be the same for you i haven't heard a single firm that we've talked to and we've talked to lots over the last 12 weeks not one has said my clients are starting to think do i really need to pay my advisor the same amount if i don't have them sitting in my front room eating my biscuits that's not the face-to-face thing is good and it helps with visual cues it can help with vulnerable client stuff as well there's all sorts of benefits to face to face but i tell you what uh this is working uh pretty well and uh a sign i think of the value that clients place on the service of their advisor firm and we maybe as a sector including the advisor we maybe didn't quite know that we thought the value might be in coming out to meet you Mm. but it's not it's in the service. So good good things there, I think. Sure. Yeah, Andy, does that kind of ring true for, from your experience you've had at, at AJ Bell? What kind of permanent changes have you guys made? And is that your experience with advisors and, and consumers as well? Yeah, I think anyone who thinks they're going back to the old normal, I think, is, is going to be out of business very quickly. I think there is a new normal that people need to adapt to. And it's probably, you know, I think the way the advisors work is, is, is probably is probably you know, parallel to the way we're treating working from home. You know, we've, we've probably in the past been a bit of a traditionalist in the, you know, you come in at quarter to nine and you, you leave at quarter past five. And we, we've then over the years, you know, adopted flexible working practices, but always felt as though, we, if we're honest, you know, the most efficient solution is for people to be in the office. I, I, I was wrong, absolutely. Hold my hand up, I was wrong. Um, our sick levels are down to an all-time low. Our productivity has increased. Uh, but does that mean that we'll keep everyone working from home forever? No, it doesn't. I think what it will mean is that uh, we'll have a balance going forward now. We've not we've not decided on, on the nature of that. But anyone who thinks that we can say to staff right now, you've got to get on that, um, you know, the train from Tunbridge Wells into London and, and, and you know, you've been in the office for quarter to nine or you know, battle the M60 as you drive into Manchester, those, those days I think are, are behind us. But people... You were already seeing the equivalent of staff uh, saying, "Look, please let us back in, Andy. Look, we've just we miss, you know, and that, that really depends on, on on the personal setup at home. If there's, you know, your boyfriend and girlfriend trying to work from home together, or young parents with a young child are trying to homeschool, then you can see that it, it's not ideal to work from home. But and I think really echoing Mark's point about the advisors, I, I think to go and say, right, we're only doing Zoom calls now would be short sighted. You know, we've, you know, I, I'm absolutely sure there are lots of advisors out there are thinking, wow, this is incredibly efficient. I think people talk about Zoom fatigue now, and I know exactly what they mean. You're on it. Literally, the problem is you, your secretary schedules the meetings 
to start on the hour and finish on the hour and forget that you need to read a bundle load of papers, you need to dip to the loo and make <laughs> coffee in between them. We never never quite get a chance to do it all. But, you know, there are lots of, 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 of good things coming out of this that, you know, if we don't embrace them, then uh, I think uh, I think business will, you know, businesses will be foolish not to. And I'm sure most most uh, businesses that are, are forward thinking, as, as most are, certainly in the platform sector and most certainly in the advisor sector, uh, I think they will they will you know adapt the good, and you know hopefully some of the some of the bad will be a distant memory in in you know not too long a time. Sure. Um, what about your um, AJ Bell's kind of offering to advisors the way advisors can use the AJ Bell AJ Bell Advisor platform? Is there any kind of changes to the way you interact with advisors that that has changed due to the coronavirus crisis and maybe will stick? Yeah, I think there's different levels of that. I think what we have found again incredibly. Uh, successful has been we we had uh, a series of what we call on the road seminars so we have a team of people traipsing around the country uh you know meeting advisors you know, talking about topics uh, of, of relevance and, and we you know we'll be hiring a hotel room and getting you know between the 20 and 40 of them in a room and, and having a day doing that uh, we then we then reinvented that as off the road and we've been getting three, four, five hundred people attending those uh, every single week, and and that's been amazing. Which again is that whether that will carry on long term as people get back to a uh, a working day when they're out of the, the home or you know more than they're in it, then it, maybe that will will dwindle. But I've been really pleased with that. And again, it costs us less, engagement is more, and people are coming on at the start and staying to the end. I think operationally. Uh, I would say we've had very little kickback from advisors. I think we've been able to do virtually everything that, that we wanted to be able to do with the advisors. I think I think where you actually take a step back and everyone's probably just about getting into that reflection mode now. Uh, and it's almost, you know, how online you are is, is probably um, inversely proportional to how much flexibility you've got and functionality you've got in your proposition. You know, the more the more flexibility you've got, then the more difficult it is to be online. So, for example, you know we accept checks, uh, and you know a bundle of you know checks will come in every single morning. Someone's got to be there to open the post and bank those checks. Uh, we allow property in our SIPs, and you know properties typically are uh, you know paper-based beasts. You, you, you know the, the lease comes in in paper typically from the solicitor. It needs reviewing. It needs signing. We deal with lots of different investment partners out there. The DFMs. They're sending tax vouchers. You know, we've got to educate them to send them in in electronic form rather than in paper form, and that's where we'll work to. And I think there's a you know piece of work already started in our business at the moment. Is really the test is you know our future for disaster recovery is not what people have done in the past. We've all been guilty. And again, uh, I've got to put my hand up and say I've been asleep at the wheel, thinking that you know having a you know having another office uh, 30 miles away that we can down tools in Manchester and and, and move to the one in Warrington. Is ever going to be sufficient as a disaster recovery site? It's not. You know, there was no there was no office space in the world that could have dealt with this disaster. Uh, and working from home is the most natural disaster recovery site that you can think about. And and that's another change that we'll embrace. So, well, you know, it, 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 it's actually a good time for us because we're right in the heart of our business planning process, and all of these things now are coming about as you know, really defining the new normal. Sure, um, Mark. What do you think about that? Do you agree that kind of that will be the mark of how successful a platform is going forward, how how well it's been adapting to this. What are going to be the markers of a successful platform kind of moving beyond this? I think 
advisors are a very pragmatic and strangely forgiving bunch. That's a, a funny thing to say, but um, I think advisors will forgive, let's take it um, away from individual platforms, but they'll forgive those who perhaps couldn't get everybody working from home quickly or where there were problems with phones and that kind of stuff, because everybody gets it, right? Um, you've got a bunch of, you know, hundreds of people in a call center all need to be laptoped and phoned up and that sometimes just doesn't happen straight away so i think that's fine and people will be okay as long as uh, those firms then learn from it and try and make sure that um, they don't have similar problems again in the future um, and i think any firm kind of as andy says you know that that tries to roll back to say well compliance really do want I don't know, X, Y, Z on as a signature, not because there's solicitors involved or, or whatever else. There will always be some paper, particularly for the more complex pieces of business, as Andy says. Um, but for core stuff, um, I would expect them to be punished. Um, and what I think you might find, I, I kind of hope this, uh, and I kind of trust this will be true, is that the basics of running a platform, which is to buy stuff, to hold it, to tell people about it, and then to sell it again when the advisor says they've had enough of it and pay the money out. Those four things are just what advisors want to happen. And if out coming out the back of this, those processes change, firms will roll with that, but they expect them to be better. And what I'm kind of hoping is that perhaps there might be some exec teams or, or whatever out there that get seduced with other stuff that they could be doing. And the unglamorous side of running a platform gets a little bit forgotten about sometimes, but that's the bit that matters. And that's what the last 12 weeks to me has kind of refocused us on. So the kind of bet is firms that nail that, platform firms that nail that are going to be incredibly well set. I think there's been a. I think I think you know, one other word, you know, one other area worthy of notice is just on transfers. I think that you know, I agree with Mark really that you know I'd say most money within the system you can buy and sell and hold without any paper. I think some platforms may struggle a little bit with getting new money in, and some may struggle with getting money out. But I would say in the main, the platform industry can almost operate seamlessly throughout that journey. I think I think where the problems I've found uh, has been on transfers. You know, our, our transfer backlog has gone up considerably. Um, yeah, we would be a net receiver of funds, therefore, you know, maybe always would be shouting a bit more loudly about this than than you know, than some others. But you know, the platform review highlighted that the the transfer um, you know, process within our industry is dysfunctional. Well, you know, it was it was on steroids dysfunctionally in in the sense that you know when. Um, you know, when COVID came along because, you know, and it was a bit frustrating for me, the only area where I think that um, the industry needs to look at itself, you know, there's, you know, I think platforms, you're re-diverting resources from transfer departments to other areas of the business is it, it, probably not right. Uh, you know, to me, you've got to treat a you know, customer who is looking to transfer out with the same priority as someone who's looking to transfer in and someone who's looking to, to do business with you. I'd, I'd probably accept the exception if you were if you were closing to new businesses, one or, one or two platforms did for a short period where they acknowledged they couldn't cope with it all and say, okay, well, uh, yeah, at least they're, yeah, they're, they're offering a fair, a fair solution in, in, in the way they're approaching it. But that, that's sort of one area where I've sort of looked and thought, 
you know, if, if we all if we're all honest with ourselves and when we analyse this, I think I think it, it's just reminding ourselves this you know, the transfer process needs to be sorted out. And I said right at the start before the platform review, the regulator will have to show its teeth on this. Uh, it's not one you can just leave the industry to sort out. There are several initiatives out there to try and improve it, but if there's ever a, a you know, solid reminder that it's not working, then then you know COVID nineteen will be it. And I think you know for firms. You know, trying to accentuate the positive here about firms remembering who's done well and rewarding that. But I, I think that's that's exactly right from Andy. In the same way as there are you know businesses in other walks of life where people will remember um, where they didn't behave very well through this. If if somebody is is kind of blocking transfer, sitting on the money, uh, using it as an excuse to um, to improve. I don't know, AUA positions at certain times or whatever it may be, that's that's no use at all. And all you've ever got to do is remember whose money it is. Because it's not ours in the sector, right? It doesn't belong to the advisor, it doesn't belong to the platform. Well, it's the client. If the client needs it, they need it, right? If they want to move it, they want to move it. And I, I've seen this before in, in pensions way back. And it was the firms who genuinely, genuinely resourced and nailed their money out procedure, whether that's actually in claims or, or in transfers um, that did really, really well for new business because firms understand what's going on. Um, and if you, as a provider, if you're willing to put the effort into ensuring that that's a great experience when you have to take money away, that will help when it comes time to decide where that next tranche of business goes as well. Sure. Cool. Well, uh, just moving on to kind of some of the trends that we've seen in the platform space over the past few years. Uh, you can't really say the word platform without consolidation lately. Um, we've seen Embark buy up a considerable um, chunk of the platforms, uh, the advisor platform space. Is that the kind of thing that you think we're going to continue to see in the industry post-coronavirus? Or do you think there will be a bit of a slowdown given the fact that people might uh, businesses might just kind of take the time to look after yourself before you kind of go on those ventures. Um, Andy, what, what do you think? I thought you're going to go to Mark then, to be honest. He would be more of an industry guru than I am. I think that you know, I can only look at this through, uh, through our lens. You know, we're not a consolidator in, in this space. Um, you know, we, we find that, you know, not to say there's anything wrong with it, we've always felt that organic growth is, is right for us. Um, I, th I think the challenges we've seen when we've, you know, when we've looked at uh, advisor platforms is that you are it is someone else's business you're buying and you're trying to then bring in the hearts and minds of those advisors and often uh, you've actually got um, you've got processes and websites that are very much embedded into the advisor uh, that uses it into their own processes and trying to to then merge either a um, either a culture or a, a set of processes or a set of websites or uh, or a pricing model you, you, to actually make them consistent across the piece. I, I think it's quite difficult. You, you're not saying it can't be done. So the starting point is there'll always be consolidators in the market. There are in the DTC market and there are in the advised market. Therefore, is there going to be more of that? Uh, if there is a very much doubt, we'll be, we'll be playing that game. Uh, I, I think you look at it through the eyes of the seller. It feels to me a, a little bit like the sit market going back all those years. I think there was a there was a point with the sit market where everyone everyone wanted to be a sit provider or to own a sit provider, and there's some fairly heady values on you know on on those businesses. I think as we saw time march on, people realised that actually, you know, it it it's not a, it's not an easy way to make money running a platform or, or being a sit provider. 
there are liabilities that, that come with it that we're all very aware of. Um, and therefore, you need scale to do it. Now, if you can buy that scale and you can get through the inevitable uh, disruption caused by the, the bashing together of the businesses, then I think what comes out the other side is something better and stronger uh, than what than what goes in. But, you know, I do. Yeah, and so, you know, almost arguing the case for consolidation, I think the value of those businesses out there that aren't reaching scale for me, it, it's hard to see there's any great premium on, on those businesses other than almost a per client or per pound of AUA value on them. In the past, insurance companies and banks and others have looked at them and thought, wow, there's a real premium to be able to get into this market. I, uh, I think you know, the platform market feels like an oligopoly to me. It needs a few big players and then maybe a few a few small disruptors. Uh, and I think I think that is is naturally where the market's going to end up. So there is a there is definitely a case for consolidation. Will will not be you will not be playing it. Uh, and I think for those firms that can actually buy those businesses and integrate them, and and do it without the disruption that we've seen in the market previously, then uh, I think they deserve all the success that they will undoubtedly get. Sure, Mark. What are your thoughts on the future of consolidation? Well, I think. It- Consolidation will carry on, but I'm not sure coronavirus is going to have a lot to do with it, to be honest. The the deals that we've seen over the last little while have been a long time coming. Um, and um, it's certainly not the case that you decide that you might want to sell a platform one week and it's shifted, you know, six weeks later or eight weeks later. Um, I think one of the quicker processes I've seen is the Royal London one um, with Eccentric um, and um, regulatory approval still outstanding for that but that's a kind of change of ownership it's almost not a consolidation thing it's just somebody buying a thing that somebody else owned uh, a little bit more straightforward where i think you see the interesting stuff happening is where there's already private equity involvement in the ownership of platforms um and um we've looked at what Pyrrhus has done and uh, anacap uh, took wealth time uh, and they've been very clear um that there's more to come um, so I think some of those subscale players, we're going to see some kind of attempt to combine these. Um, like Andy says, it's hard to see that if you're running, what, 50 billion, 60 billion, whatever it is already, that you'd want to disrupt that for the sake of getting 5, 10 billion in. That, that's a kind of big jeopardy. So some kind of bringing together of these things, I guess, happens. There's one other interesting dynamic, um, which is those disruptors. Now, more than at any time I can think of in the last five, 10 years, we're seeing really, really exciting uh, firms starting to come through. Um, and they're just very, very small at the moment. Um, but a, a range of people who've looked at what the big platforms have built and thought, hey, if we did this part and that part a little bit differently, some firms might quite like that. And they maybe don't have everything that's a full solution next to an AJ Bell or a Standard Life or, or whoever it might be. But my goodness, they've got some exciting stuff there. Now, that's what this sector needs is those disruptors to drive everybody on. And you know what happens with disruptors in a tech space is oftentimes what they've built, which is the really exciting part, gets taken in somewhere else. So lots of activity to come. Um, And uh, I think we'll we'll have plenty to write about and plenty to talk about for a while. But um, I think uh, it will be at that kind of subscale end. Sure. Okay, great. Uh, Andy, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode.